Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. All right, today's scripture reading is from Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. And if you have a pew Bible, it's in um, page 1031, right here, this blue pew Bible. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is God's word. So in my early 20s, I was a a part of a organization, a missions organization, that ran six-month schools. They called discipleship training schools, where you would um, do a lot of Bible um, lectures and readings and living in community with other uh, young people. And then after a few months of, of training, we would then go and do cross-cultural missions outreach for about two months. Um, and uh, the location I was uh, a part of was focused on East Asia. And these schools ran about six months, and then they would turn over, and there would be a director of the school and then staff, and I was one of the staff members. And uh, as I was getting ready to start another one of these schools, we were going to have a director that I'd never worked with before. And uh, the word in the organization was he was a taskmaster, that he, he didn't mess around, um, that he was very, uh, very stern, and, um, and honestly just not a lot of fun to be under. And so uh, I went into to this relationship not knowing him, but hearing this reputation, and I was pretty nervous Oh, man, this is not going to be a very fun few months, is it? And as I got to know this guy, um, the, the rumors about him were not quite true. Now, there was some truth to how serious he took things. But really, his approach um, with leader, in his leadership was he took it seriously. And so he had a high bar for those that were on staff, especially, like a young guy like myself. I was about 20 years old at the time. And for the students as well that were under his care. For him, this was like basic training for Christians. And so we, we, he wanted people to be all in. And I remember a, a few weeks into this, this new uh, school that had started, somebody came to me and they're like, oh man, how's it going? I heard he's really strict. And what I said to them is, no, he's not. But he's just really serious. He was really serious about the call to make disciples. I look back at my time uh, with, with under that leader, and I now call him and consider him a really good friend. Um, his wife and him uh, mentored Jessica and I before we were ever even engaged. Um, we've stayed in touch with them over the years. And actually, about two years ago, he even spoke to our church remotely uh, when we were doing Zoom. His name was Jeremy West. I don't know about you, but for, for many of us, as we've walked in our faith, walked out this life We've had people like that that have called out the best in us. They've, they've set a standard. They haven't let us um, give in to despair or excuses. 
They've said, Jesus, this way, let's go. And so this morning, we're going to be starting a series, you'll see the slide up there, on the book of Titus. And what we're going to see uh, through the book of Titus is we're going to see a relationship between the Apostle Paul that is um, oriented in a similar way as my relationship was with Jeremy West. That he, he sees the best in Titus, and he's calling Titus to, to lead out a community of believers in a way that points them to Jesus. When we think about our own spiritual growth, I want you to understand one thing. Spiritual growth, our, our walk with Jesus, is meant to be a community project. The very existence of the church is evidence of that. The church is never one person. Church itself literally means a gathering or an assembly of people. Now, it's much bigger than Sunday morning, but it is not less than Sunday morning. So this is a significant part of how we grow as believers in community. So if you have your Bibles this morning, our community project over the next few weeks is going to be reading through the book of Titus together. This is probably not on your top 10 of favorite New Testament books. And right now, even if you have a Bible app, you're probably having a trouble finding it. What's the abbreviation for Titus? In our, in our Pew Bibles, if you have a pew Bible, it's, it's a page and a half. It's not a big book. And in fact, we say books of the Bible because there's 66 of them, but it's actually what? It's a letter. This was a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Titus. Now, if you are new to the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, about 13 books of the New Testament I say about because there's some speculation that he also maybe wrote Hebrews, so it would be 14. So Apostle Paul wrote 13 books, and most of these books were what we call epistles or letters. And this particular letter is a pastoral letter. It's from one pastor, Paul, to another pastor, Titus. Titus was a younger man, um, a man that Paul himself had discipled and he traveled with on missionary journeys. And we can surmise uh, from some of Paul's other writings that they'd known each other for probably about a decade at the point that this letter was written. Some scholars think that Paul was actually writing this letter while in process in, uh, in a journey to another part of the empire. This letter was written to Titus who was ministering uh, on an island called Crete. Has anybody ever been to Crete? It's one of the Greek isles. Somebody, somebody raised their hand. Who's... Who's been to Crete? Okay. Oh, Doris? Okay, and Emmett? Okay, we've had a couple people. Crete is the largest of the Greek isles. It's the fifth largest island in the entire Mediterranean. And today, Crete has just over about 600,000 people. It's about 150 miles long. So a little over half a million people live on the island of Crete. One of the things that we'll see as we unpack this letter together, we'll see clues about the culture, about what was going on in the culture of Crete and how that affected the church. And so what we see right away from the very first chapter in verses 12 and 16 is that Titus is leading this church in a pretty tough environment, a pretty tough culture. The Cretans themselves, Paul says, even speak of themselves. They're, they're liars, they're lazy, they're evil, they're gluttonous. This is the culture 
that is described about Crete. Sometimes I wonder, if we were to describe our own culture, what words would we use? So as we look at this letter in depth over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this letter in its context, and it was written in the first century, but we're also going to move from the first century to our modern time. And what we're going to see is that the truths that Paul conveys to Titus in this letter are timeless. It's just as relevant for us today. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do something over these next few weeks. First, I want to ask you to read this letter yourself. It's a page and a half. But read it a few times and study it. Write down the questions you have, the things that stick out to you. And then over the next few weeks, as a community project, we're going to walk through this letter together. So can we get a commitment to do that? Pretty low bar (laughs) to read a letter like this. But we want to engage with it with everything that we are. So Lord, this morning we ask that you would speak to us. You inspired Paul to write these words by your Holy Spirit 2,000 plus years ago to a church far away from here a long time ago. And yet there are truths in it that are timeless, that speak to who you are, to who we are, to how we might live. So this morning, as we just, as we just kind of skim the surface of this letter and as in, the, in the coming weeks as we dig deeper into it, Would you show us what those truths are? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you see kind of from the the title slide here, there's kind of two primary themes uh, of the book of Titus. Next week we'll talk about one of the main reasons that that Titus is actually on that island. But two themes that kind of weave through uh, this letter to Paul. One is doctrine and one is devotion. The, the, The first one we'll talk about is doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. And so what we see from this letter, what we will see, is there's a lot of false teaching. And so the church needs clarity on what is right teaching. There's a lot of false teaching, and so the church needs clarity on what is right teaching. And there's kind of two influences of this false teaching. One is from the culture. The culture is saying... You need to live a certain way, and this is, this is just the way things are done on this island. As, as Paul mentions, Cretan culture, it, it's evil, it's lazy, and there's a bunch of liars. And so that's just the kind of accepted standard of, of the culture. And so just the church is tempted to just enter into that, to just go with the flow of culture. And so there needs to be right teaching on recognizing those things and avoiding those things. There's another piece to this where there is false religion. The god of Zeus, the Greek god, was rumored to have uh, originated on the island of Crete. And so he's a primary um, kind of religious figure in that day. And so you can imagine, as people are kind of trying to, to, to come out of that religious belief, what they were probably tempted to do is take what they knew about Zeus and transpose that onto God. And actually, we do the same thing, don't we? The image of Zeus, the classical image of Zeus, is this big white bearded man on a cloud with a lightning bolt, ready to, for us to make mistakes so he can zap us. How many Christians still today, 2,000 years later, view God in that same way? And so we need right doctrine, right 
teaching. Today, we need to be aware and avoid these things as well. We have cults in our culture. In fact, just a a few weeks ago, I got a cold call here at the church office. And the guy, I answered the phone, and the guy goes, hello, is there a pastor there that I could talk to? I have a question about the Bible. I said, well, speaking. And he said, do you have your Bible in front of you? I said, well, yes, I do. (laughs) Next thing I knew, he was pointing me to some passages in John's Gospel. And I quickly realized, based on the passage, that he he didn't come with an honest question. He came to try and trip me up in what I believe. He was a Jehovah's Witness. How many of you have uh, had an experience with Jehovah's Witnesses? We live in Fairwood. They often set up literature tables right out in front of the library in Fairwood uh, that tend to focus on the end times. Jehovah's Witness is a cult, a Christian cult, that uses the language of faith, the language of Christ, but it orients it in the wrong direction. They deny the divinity of Jesus, the existence of the Holy Spirit. Their founder, Charles Taze Russell, made a series of prophecies about Jesus' second coming that turned out to be, guess what? False. You know that because you're still here. Um, So, but using the language of Scripture, using Scripture itself, his whole attempt that day to was to get me to disavow what I believe about the Bible and to follow Charles Taze Russell's teachings. And so I wouldn't do that, obviously. But this is a a historic problem. From Crete until today, people use the language of faith to cause confusion and to lead us away from Christ. We live in a culture that's maybe quite different than Crete. We don't live in a beautiful Mediterranean culture. We were all reminded of that the last couple days, weren't we? But we live in a culture that exalts things that Scripture doesn't, that celebrates things that Scripture doesn't, that even uses words that most Christians would say aren't words that point us to right living, but towards evil. And so today, just like in Crete, there's a need for godly leadership to help guide the community toward righteousness. And so Paul says in verse 1 and 9, this is where we get the doctrine piece, talking about these godly leaders, Paul says one of the requirements is that these leaders must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that these godly leaders can encourage others by what? Sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The other piece that we see in this letter is Paul's encouragement towards devotion. The church needs to be devoted to God and devoted to what is good. This is right after the passage that Derek just read. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now, we as a church, we want to be very careful that when we talk about doing good things, that we recognize that we don't do good things to earn God's favor. We do good things because we've received God's favor, and we want other people to know God. So we're devoted to good because we belong to God. 
Martin Luther famously said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. I think that's true for, for many of us. So again, as I said earlier, as we walk through this, this text together, um, following Jesus, growing in our faith is meant to be a community experience. And so as we look at Titus, I want to encourage you um, to write down questions that you might have. I want you to write down what new things God might be, may be showing you in these weeks ahead. And also to consider what applications you may make in your life. Because here's the reality, is you can sit in church for your entire life and get all the information. You can go to Bible studies and you can know exactly where to look up passages. But if the Bible isn't being translated into our lives, then nothing is going to happen. In fact, a pastor I heard once say, that's the most important translation. Not NIV or King James Bible, but the translation from what you hear into your life. So, in these days ahead, that's my hope for us, is that we're going to pour through this text, and God is going to work in our hearts and lives. So let's go ahead, and just this morning, we're just going to look at the very first four verses of, of Titus. Uh, since you all found it so quickly, you, um, we'll read it together. Paul, uh, chapter one, or sorry, Titus chapter 1, verse 1, starts out like this. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true son and our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So this is the introduction of, of this particular book. It's actually one of the longer introductions that Paul makes in some of his letters. And it's important to remember who Paul was, the guy that's writing this letter. Paul was once one of the chief religious leaders persecuting Christians. In fact, the book of Acts shows him overseeing the death of one of Jesus' followers, Stephen. And now, through a miraculous encounter that Paul had with God, Paul is on the other side. He switched teams. And so the very first title that Paul gives himself in this introduction is what? what what's the first word he uses to describe himself? Servant. 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 Some translations may say slave. The original language, if we were to hear Paul say this to us in, in the Greek, would be doulos which is this idea of a servant or a slave. Essentially what Paul is saying from the very beginning, he's not touting his credentials, he's not saying Paul, the planter of many churches, PhD in theology. He's not leading with any of that. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ. Everything that I have belongs to God. And when you understand the grace and the kindness of God, your identity reflects that. Paul always, I'm sure, was held in check of being too prideful, knowing what he had once been, knowing what he had once done. And guess what? Everybody else knew that too. He had been infamous in the Christian church. So this is the very first word that Paul leads with, and the second word he, term he uses is the word apostle. An apostle of Jesus Christ. 
An apostle is someone who is simply is sent. Paul is a missionary. And this is most likely how this church in Crete started. It probably started on a missionary journey that Titus was a part of. So in this introduction to Titus, Paul identifies who he is, that he's a servant missionary sent by God. And then Paul states his mission. Introduction of who he is, and then kind of a a brief mission statement. And we see that together. What is that? His mission is to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. This last week in our men's group, we had this whole discussion about what is what is godliness? Is it something that we're aware of in our own lives? Is it something we pursue? How much do we do it? How much does God do it? Paul says that his goal, his mission, is to further the faith of those that believe and to expand their knowledge of the truth so that they can lead godly lives. I kind of rephrase this mission statement. Paul is essentially saying, he said, I'm here to promote the faith to God's chosen people, to teach the truth that shows them how to live godly lives, to give them confidence that they get the eternal life that God promised, he doesn't lie. And I get to shout out this message, this truth, to everyone in the name of Jesus, who is the one who has given me this mission. So Paul knew what this young church needed, and because of his confidence in the word of God, he can boldly state who he is based on who Jesus is, on what he's been called to do. One of the first questions as we read this opening, one of the first questions I ask myself as I read this, is do I have a mission that's rooted in my identity as a Christian? If you were to write an introduction of yourself that includes your mission, your life call, what would you lead with? One of the reasons I didn't want to ask the high school seniors what they were doing next is because we've prioritized things in our culture that seem to add worth to, what, to who we are. That's why almost every time when we meet somebody that we don't know, we say, what do you do? As if what we do is the most important part of who we are. Paul leads with a very different type of introduction. Who he is is rooted in his relationship with Jesus. What he does, what he's called to do, comes out of that relationship. See how that's different? What if you were to rewrite your introduction? Maybe you work in the tech field or you work for Boeing or you work in home health. That's great. You should share that. But what if the way that you viewed your occupation was through the lens of a son or daughter of Christ? That you, were, you had a mission that was greater than the task. Like in, at work, right? You all have ta- we all have tasks that we have to do. But God has given us a work in the midst of the tasks that is greater than that. So as a mother, as a father, we have a mission. And really, it should be similar to this. So for Paul, this introduction sets the tone for the instruction that is going to follow. And while this instruction was given to a young pastor to carry out in a church a long time ago on an island far, far away, it is also for us today. And just like the church that this letter was originally addressed to, 
we are also a people that are growing together, and we are a people who are gathered here this morning for one reason and one reason only. Jesus. Jesus called us here. Now, maybe you don't even recognize that. Maybe, maybe you're like, I just came here by accident this morning. I just Googled churches closest to me and thought I'd go check one out. That's okay. You're still here because of Jesus. This building, this people, are, they wouldn't be here, gathered here, if it weren't for the call of Jesus, the life-changing grace of Jesus that has been displayed in each of our lives. We could take the next hours sharing how our story maybe looks similar to Paul's story. We were opposed to God at one time, and then he met us in our mess, and he called us to himself. And so I want to end with a passage that Derek read from Titus, one that we'll unpack in later weeks. But it is the gospel of Jesus. It's this appearing. And I want you to keep in mind, Paul, who is killing Christians who had an encounter with Jesus on the road. He was on a road, on a horse, and God appeared. Verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God has appeared and saved us. God isn't some mystical force or Zeus-like character. He became flesh, Jesus, and took all of our sin, our messed up ways on himself so that we can really, truly live into who we were meant to be. God appeared. And this is our anchor today. In a world that is confused and untrusting and fearful, we have the words of God the promises of God, the truth of God. And these words of God realign us with what is good and true and they point us to a sure hope. So this morning, whether you have been planning to come here all week or you stumbled in, I hope that you've heard these words. That Jesus is the Savior that we need. Nothing that he is offering you is because of something you've earned but it's because he loves you and wants you to know him. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.